0: hey guys i'm georgia simmons founder of greedy vegan and welcome back to another exciting episode of catch-ups in my kitchen this week we are joined by amanda thompson founder of thompson and scott naughty the zero percent alcohol wine brand amanda and i enjoyed a delicious glass of their sparkling chardonnay whilst discussing the alcohol-free market. It seems to be becoming more and more popular and acceptable to opt for a non-alcoholic drink rather than alcoholic. However, similar to plant-based, you don't want to look like an outsider by drinking something aesthetically different, which is where naughty comes in, as you can now still hold the beautiful glassware, but without the hangover. Amanda is so passionate about her industry, and it was a pleasure having her on the podcast. (music) naughty is an organic vegan and alcohol-free brand they stock all around the world in the states australia europe and of course the uk So to start with, Amanda, how are you today? I'm very well. All the better for seeing you in this beautiful place recording a podcast. I know, amazing. It's a lovely day in September, which makes a change. We've had a bit of rain recently, so that's really nice. So to start with, because I won't do it justice, do you mind giving us a 30-second elevator pitch about who you are and what you do? Sure, thank you. I'm Amanda Thompson. I'm the founder and CEO of
1: Thompson & Scott Naughty. We're revolutionising the way the world drinks one beautiful alcohol-free, bottle at a time Uh, it's all about partying without the alcohol hence our first bottle was naughty brute instead of a brute champagne
0: amazing and we have an amazing bottle here which we're going to try together I haven't tried any of it I opened it before you arrived but just so it was all ready, I haven't tried it yet so I'm I'm very excited excited to try that but before we do another tradition is I have some quick fire questions for you all about food unprepared so sweet or savoury savoury juicy burger or overloaded salad overloaded salad or maybe juicy veggie burger good yeah yeah that's a good one ice cream or sorbet sorbet usually cook in or eat out eat out every time yeah crisps or popcorn crisps and what is your favorite delivery Oh, do you know, I don't do delivery, is that weird? That's probably really good. Is that weird? That is really
1: good. But hypothetically, my favourite would be veggie Mexican all the time. I could live on veggie Mexican. Good
0: one. Is that like the bowls or would you like a wrap? I'd like it all. All of it.
1: Included loaded veggie nachos. I'm now getting hungry.
0: I know, what the hell, why is that? No, love that. Yeah, so delicious. So to start with I want to go back to your upbringing. So I'm aware that you kind of got brought up on a predominantly plant-based kind of a healthy diet. Could you share with us a bit about your upbringing and what your diet was like?
1: Sure it was quite radical. Um, I'm older than you. I was born in the 70s and it wasn't typical. It wasn't fashionable. It was hippie I guess. Um, My mother was ahead of her time. She had recognized that I suppose a natural diet based on non-processed foods was really the way forward. Um, And I remember being desperate to have white bread at friends' houses. And I remember being embarrassed, actually, because people would come to my house and it was all brown rice and, you know, all these strange things, muesli in the morning for breakfast, which, of course, now we take for granted as being something good for you and and pretty, I suppose, ahead of the curve and normal. But then it was considered a bit weird.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so did this kind of make you rebel a bit and really go for the cravings when you had them or were you very good and kind of like understood the whole diet? That's a really good
1: question actually I suppose thinking about it at university I probably ate a fair bit of what we call junk food but it was still veggie junk food and of course we didn't then have the processed vegetarian or vegan alternatives to meat we have now that Mm. You know, many of which aren't probably good for you, and you may find meats better, ironically. Yeah. So, I guess even veggie junk food back then wasn't that bad. Um, I never really lived off a diet of chips. So, I suppose it was natural to me mm. to recognize five a day or more. Um, and I think when you analyze sugar, I suppose I'd never developed a sugar addiction that I know a lot of my friends have struggled with. Yeah. So I suppose in having that diet early stage, it didn't really make me crave things. Um, and I, I haven't got an addictive personality, which is useful for <laughs> drinking or eating well. So I guess I've I've, I've usually worked on the 80-20 premise. I've, I've usually yeah. stuck to a 80% healthy, 20% of what you fancy.
0: Yeah, and do you think that, kind of being brought up on this diet has massively shaped your kind of lifestyle today
1: i would say yes i think my friends would tell you i have an insane amount of energy Mm. and i always have done and so i can't help but assume quite a lot of that's to do with my diet and my you know how much is gene's diet you know i don't know um i would say yes probably
0: It is amazing because I always speak about this. Everyone's like, oh, but how How do you feel different to to me, for example? How do you feel different? Like, my brother's always like, but yeah, but, but how is it different, your diet, compared to mine? And I'm like, I just have energy that I can't explain. It's like, it's not a rush. It's not a, obviously, you still get tired. But generally, you have this energy about you that you can't really put, a, yeah, you can't really describe. Um, and I do think that's plant-based Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I I
1: think if you've had a strong relationship with meat before, then I think perhaps it's a little bit more complex. Mm -hmm. And I know some vegans who've struggled and then craved a steak and then felt a lot better in their minds. And I suppose if your body's got used to reacting to meat then that might be slightly different. I suppose I've never really had a relationship with it, so I'm quite unusual.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And so do you think your upbringing on kind of being aware of vegan and plant-based and what's inside food has then impacted your reason for starting thompson and scott absolutely
1: for sure i mean i worked with champagne originally because i retrained i used to be a bbc broadcaster a long time ago strange i'm on the other side now (laughs) i retrained in wine in paris and launched my own champagne um and my champagne was all about purity so cutting sugar not having chemicals where possible and really being as open as i could about what was in the bottle and the transition to naughty, alcohol-free was based on those same principles. So, yeah, absolutely. I think innately I was all about recognising that what was happening in wine was that you were adding sugar and chemicals to drive down the price and mask imperfection exactly like you do in processed food. It's the same, and mm. it's not really a conversation that had been talked about.
0: And was that your reasons for starting it? So absolutely. Kind of When you were kind of brought out your own champagne and you kind of were introduced to this world and then you were like wow actually now looking at what there is out there compared to this there's such a gap.
1: Yes and what I also realised was the fine wine world of which I was then a part we all knew that if we drunk the best Burgundy it was made in a biodynamic way but because the wine business and all of its history has never really shouted about its credentials in that way they've never thought it was necessary it meant that there was a lot of smoke and mirrors in all aspects of the drinks industry particularly wine and there was so much that goes across the seas to different countries and therefore because there's no uniformity in labelling each country's just got used to just doing its own thing and there's no ingredients list on wine labels not an official one that breaks it down which in 2022 comes as quite a you know
0: quite a big shock to people definitely i mean When, as consumers, we look at buying wine, I mean, kind of consumer-dependent, maybe some look at price, maybe some look at tasting notes, and maybe others look at the the year. So what should we be looking at when we're looking at wine to buy? Because there's now vegan wine, and some people might think, but what is vegan wine? So what should we be looking at when we're looking at wine to buy? I'm glad you've asked me that, and
1: I think... It's quite a nuanced question, so to try and answer it as simply as I can, the best French expensive wine, certainly from Burgundy, is is usually made in a really natural way, Mm. but for most people, everyday wine drinking, I mean, we shouldn't really technically be drinking wine every day, that's where naughty comes in, but when I say everyday wine drinking, I mean, you know, affordable wine drinking, um burgundy certainly in the uk is really expensive Mm -hmm. um and so i think if we park that what i would say is a really simple way in is to try and look for organic where you can i mean each country again has a different system for for you know for labeling organics some are stricter than others but but europe's quite strict on organics so that's one simple way there's a big movement in natural wine and i know that that's quite a a hipster sort of thing at the moment and perhaps it hasn't really hit the mainstream and it's quite hard to buy natural wine in the supermarket for example Um, but a lot of independent stores will sell natural wine and that's where it really hasn't been messed with at all very much and you're not going to find really any chemicals to speak of what it does mean is you don't have the uniformity so sometimes you'll open a bottle and it might be a little bit Slightly fizzy, which of course can be quite uncomfortable for us if it's not supposed to be a sparkling wine. So, I would say organic is a really simple way to start when you'll know it's not been messed with too much. There's a really sad situation where if you're not spending much more than five pounds on a wine in the UK, it's not being made in a sustainable way, unfortunately, because the duty is such there's going to be a ton of sugar in there, a ton of chemicals, you will probably get a headache quite quickly. So, I would say. Maybe spend a bit more and, and and on one bottle instead of two of the cheaper stuff, and you'll probably find that that's just another helpful way forward. Until you really get to eight, nine, ten pounds with supermarket wine, a lot of it isn't going to the liquid because our uh, costs are so expensive with duty and shipping, which is quite a depressing statistic.
0: Yeah, no, it's amazing, and I think we just don't really think about that. I think a lot of the time you're running into the shop, you're grabbing the wine, you're especially now people are a lot more price conscious and they'll be grabbing the cheaper wine and then actually that's not what we should be doing.
1: Well, on that note, because of course it's completely relevant to discuss money at the moment with with, with the macroeconomic climate. And I think, you know, to be practical, just really think about buying a bottle for a few more pounds and and one instead of two. And it is a, a bit of a psychological thing. You may find you savour it more than that whole knocking it back. Thing. So I yes. think that's also going to help your health. So it's kind of win-win if you say, I'll spend a little more, I'll drink a bit more slowly, I'll put it in nice glassware, and I won't just knock it back. So, yes. so I guess if we approach it slightly differently, a bit like if you're buying... I suppose if you're a meat or fish eater, this is a strange analogy because we're on a vegan podcast, but you know when people say, okay, if I'm going to have chicken, I'm going to buy organic hand raised chicken and I'm going to treat it respectfully and cook it and it's going to be a special occasion. I guess if we could treat wine a little bit more like that, yes. that's a really good philosophy to
0: adopt. Definitely, definitely. And then what makes a wine vegan? So what... Practices go into making wine that would make it vegan and make it non vegan? It's an important sort
1: of thing to share, and I think the industry has not done enough at all. And when we came out, we were the first mainstream wine brand in the media to say we were vegan. Now, what it means, pure and simple, is when you're filtering wine, because I mentioned natural wine to you and it can have sediment bits in it, and when you're filtering wine, because everybody wants uniformity, you, you don't want a surprise when you open a brand. So you're getting out all the matter, all the bits of sediment that might... You know, little bits that might you might end up with. Like, sometimes if you have an old red wine, there's little bits there... So, so you're finding it, and historically, a lot of animal products were used. Back in the day for red wine, they used bull's blood, oh. which vegans always gasp at. <laughs> um, now, more recently, animal products would be used in filtration, perhaps milk products, egg albumin. So, so some dairy products have been used in filtration and are occasionally still used. So if a wine declares itself vegan, it means it's not using any, any animal products in its making. Um, The same with any food. Now, because we declared ourselves vegan, the vegan community found us, the plant-based community found us very quickly and said, oh my goodness, you must be the only vegan wine. And I used to always say, actually... Many wines are vegan, they just don't shout about it. And this is where my industry, the wine industry, isn't great at sharing information with consumers, but it offered my brand a great opportunity early stage to have the plant-based community get very excited about us. Mm-hmm. So it's been win-win for my brand, but I really believe all brands should tell you if they are or aren't vegan-friendly.
0: Definitely, definitely. And I also think that if they're not vegan friendly maybe as we're now becoming more educated on it because it's now those who are shouting about it are shouting it kind of makes us more aware maybe those who aren't maybe should probably think about seeing what they can do to change that absolutely that doesn't really sound very nice when you think about you know we're not i don't think about meat dairy or eggs and I'm drinking wine but to think that that might have had an impact on the on it being made yeah I mean shellfish historically I mean and
1: to be clear it doesn't mean it's still in there It, it would be used in the making process um but I think it's exceptionally odd that makers don't want to tell you that they are, if they are, vegan-friendly. I mean, we've gone a step further with Naughty, and we've become certified, which is a step further. A, you know. I think you can probably trust a wine that says it's vegan-friendly. You know, um, and actually, our new red, at the moment, we haven't got a certification, even though we're not using animal products because it's quite tricky in South Africa where it's made. But for our German sparkling, um, we got our certification because we wanted the plant-based community to be super confident about our wine
0: yeah no it's amazing now going on to naughty before we do try it and i'm very excited to try it why did you then move on to non-alcoholic wine
1: so whichever way i cut it i recognized that my favorite champagne or fine wine wasn't good for me i think there's often those stories in the media aren't we you know a few glasses of red wine help your heart you know we all know that it's skirting on the edge of, of truth to say it's good for us. I think we all know alcohol is not good for us. There's no getting away from that as someone who still enjoys a drink, you know, scientists know it. And I think that um, I recognised that my favourite champagne, you know, what did I love about it? I love the taste. Absolutely, I love the taste. So let's part taste, assuming we need brilliant taste in any drink also i love the ritual i love the glassware i love the pop of the cork i love the fine bubbles so the idea for me was could i recreate that obsession with fine champagne and recreate the ritual with something else that was equally delicious but didn't have the alcohol so that was the driving idea behind naughty the execution was a lot harder Um, Taste for me is everything in wine. And and to get perfect taste, perfect balance was exceptionally challenging and probably why no one had done it before. Mm. Um, So that was the driver, essentially. Could I recreate that placebo effect, you know, that I loved about champagne, but, but missing the alcohol?
0: Definitely. And I think there's a buzz about the ritual. So regardless of whether you're drinking it and getting that buzz anyway from the alcohol or whether you're getting the buzz from the ritual it's the same thing to an extent it's a you don't just sit on your own at home and have champagne like it's always a celebration or you're doing it with friends and you're it's an experience so yeah I can so I so get that so taste I mean I'm going to try it now but I mean how do you get that taste because I mean I opened the bottle it was exactly the same as how I'd open any bottle it popped it was amazing it looks exactly the same it smells Exactly the same. Mm. So, what? How did you do it? So,
1: with great difficulty.
0: Yeah. <laughs> first and foremost,
1: um, are we? Are we saying cheers? Yes, cheers. Okay, cheers. lovely to meet you. Mm.
0: So, wow. I mean, that is pretty identical. Yeah. Definitely. I love a wow. If it I get is, a wow first, a wow. I'm happy. It's got bubbles. It's bubbling still. The bubbles are still rising to the top. It's got that champagne taste. Definitely.
1: Delighted to hear that. Yeah, it doesn't I'll taste... I'll stay.
0: Yeah, it doesn't taste like non-alcoholic at all.
1: So zero alcohol. There's not even trace in there. Um, so it's 100% organic. It's Chardonnay. My favourite champagnes were Blanc de Blanc, Chardonnay. Yeah. White of white, So that's the, that's the grape. Um, so we've done the same here. The challenge really was to find the right maker who could make it to my specification. Um, previously, alcohol-free wine had been quite sugary. And I think that was partly why it hadn't resonated with any fine wine lovers, Um, We just use sugar for balance, which is where I think it needs to be used in conventional wine and and alcohol-free. And yeah, I just set about creating something that was not the same, but was equally delicious. And it's interesting, um, people like you try for the first time when they do say it feels the same. That's incredible to me. We had a sommelier who was quite famous who won a blind tasting when, when he wasn't told, because obviously you'd never do this the wrong, other way around for yeah. people who don't drink, but he, he was mixing it up with champagnes and he, he guessed it was a grower champagne. So like an artisan champagne. So that was a great win. Um, yeah, I'm really delighted that people like you have that first impression of it. And then luckily a lot of people then build a really strong relationship with it. And use it either instead of champagne or
0: alongside champagne. Definitely, definitely. That kind of goes on to my next question. So firstly, it's what's your relationship with alcohol? So obviously, you've mentioned you still enjoy drinking, like, but obviously responsibly. Where does your non-alcoholic wine come in? When would you use that, and how is your relationship with alcohol?
1: Well, I think it's interesting. I was never, I mentioned, an addictive person. Um, But probably like most of my generation, when we used to party, this is before social media, we probably drank more than we should. Um, I think a lot of things that have happened recently with the younger generation and the way social media plays a part in your lives has really been helpful actually to to, to lessening people's use of alcohol in that way. But my generation used to drink pretty hard. Um, And so... Historically, I probably did have occasions when I drank more than I should. Um, More recently, I think moving into the fine wine business and and then even champagne before I launched my alcohol-free, I think I became a lot more discerning. Um, And I think it's important to share that saying discerning doesn't mean... That you have to be spending a ton of money, actually, I, I want to make that clear because we see ourselves as a very democratic brand. I want you know everybody mm. to enjoy naughty and yes, it is it, it 's not five pounds, but go that but goes back to my point about processed food. Sometimes you need to consider buying one bottle of something really good instead of two or three bottles of something really cheap and nasty where you won 't feel good the next day, yeah. a bit like fast fashion you yeah. know it 's the same concept exactly um and so i i still love a really good glass of champagne or a really good glass of fine wine um what i'll often do if i'm out and they have naughty on the menu i might have one glass of champagne then move to naughty or i may just have alcohol free if i can't find anything i fancy on the list and at home in the week i would also turn to naughty so i think it has changed my relationship with alcohol and then being involved with so many other incredible alcohol free founders I've also developed a love of some of their spirits with tonic as well and again replacing that ritual um, I think is is key here uh, that placebo effect almost.
0: Yeah definitely and I think it's really great to be able to do both I think it kind of reflects a bit on plant-based and how the flexitarian things kind of come up and people can do both they can have you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday maybe more plant-based and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday treat themselves more and I think that's a really nice balance so I think wine should definitely come into that and why should you not go out and see your friends and have a glass of wine if you've got a busy day the next day swap it for non-alcoholic I think that's fine it's great and kind of leads me to my next section which is more about it being acceptable in society not to be drinking and I think it's becoming more and more acceptable I think I had um a girl on here a couple of weeks ago and she doesn't drink at all and we were talking about how she finds that with her friends how she does she feel good she get pressured is she okay with it and I think like you mentioned a lot of other non-alcoholic gin brands and I've been hearing that Heineken do a great non-alcoholic beer I think with these alternatives it is becoming more acceptable but how do you feel the industry is going do you agree do you see it being is becoming more popular
1: I think as a trend. It's exploded. And I think that's a brilliant thing. I think it's tricky for hospitality to catch up almost. And I do have empathy for hospitality because of all the problems they've had around the world. Because we sell around the world and we're particularly big in America. So, you know, stateside and here, I think, you know, with all the COVID issues, we don't want to talk about that, but and continuing economic issues and shipping, and it's very hard for hospitality and their margins. So I think um, we've got to do as much as we can to help them to recognise the growth in the movement and to help them recognise the margins they can make. The fascinating thing about alcohol-free is discerning alcohol-free drinkers, when they're out socially, they are happy to spend a fair amount, not much less than a glass of champagne, actually, even though my naughty isn't anywhere like as expensive as champagne so they can make good money on it and of course you know if you're going to encourage people to stay with you for an evening when you bear in mind uh, i think i think the stats say one in 3 Pub Visits Now is entirely alcohol-free. I hope I've got that right. I need to double-check that stat afterwards. It's an incredibly high number.
0: Wow, I'm shocked by yeah, that. Yeah, and
1: I think that a lot of that, you know, opportunity for hospitality is being lost to maybe water or, or soft drinks or lime and soda, and you can make incredible margin on my alcohol-free, as you can with the alcohol-free beers and, and and gins. And so... I think it's really important that we do as much as we can to help and educate hospitality to work with them so that they can make money on our alcohol-free bottles, but importantly, can give consumers an equal experience. And I think your generation, the younger generation, have been amazing Driving it online and on social media because it's become achingly fashionable not to drink amongst cool a lot of the cool crowd. I think that then reflects across society, and then of course women of a certain age, more like my age, you know, women women in their forties and fifties, they also you know for health reasons for the menopause, you know, they recognise that alcohol is not their friend anymore. And equally, men, of course, if they get into fitness when they're a bit older, I think younger fitness guys. They can probably, you know, we all know when you're younger, you bounce back from drinking much quicker than when you get older each decade that goes by. Although a lot of young fitness guys love our brand. But I think the older ones love it because they also recognize that if they've got naughty red wine, naughty rouge we've just launched, they can also, you know, feel good in the morning. And you touched on that equal experience. And I think the the fact that naughty looks like champagne means it doesn't have to be the conversation. Lots of people love to shout about the fact that they're they're enjoying us. But if we were at a corporate networking event and I was drinking champagne and you were drinking Naughty, we have an equal sort of place at the table. and, And Brits are pretty bad, older brits particularly why are you on drinking why are you boring it's so boring not to drink you know yeah. probably even some of your younger friends so i think it, it, it almost takes that away aesthetically as well you can shout about the fact you're drinking naughty i love of course because it pushes my brand but equally it emoliates a social situation in the same way alcohol-free beer does if you pour it in a pint glass so i think that's a really important part of networking and particularly as younger people come into the corporate world It means that you can really ameliorate that social situation with colleagues when young, smart people don't want to let their hair down in the way, you know, my lot used to do before social media
0: existed. Yeah, definitely. I think that goes back to kind of being inclusive because I think if you're at an event and you've got a Coca-Cola in your hand or you've got sparkling water with a slice of lime, it just doesn't look right and you just, you probably feel a bit uncomfortable as well because everyone's there with their nice beautiful champagne glasses and holding it in their hands and I think that is so key because if you are there as well and you feel it and you're tasting it and you've both got the same taste going no one will know the difference
1: it's so true and I think really if you analyze it like that you put that so beautifully it's kind of embarrassing that we haven't as a as a country made and actually in the world really because I'm sailing around the world that we haven't made everybody more comfortable as a drinks industry. I mean, I'd like to excuse myself because I'm new to the drinks industry. But really, my industry hasn't done enough, anything like enough, to make people feel comfortable when they're not drinking. And I've been learning about all the reasons people don't drink that I'd never really thought about before. And it's that equal experience you just encapsulated so beautifully.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it also mirrors plant-based when, you know, you going to a restaurant and you used to either have salad or fries and you felt... Out like an outsider you didn't feel comfortable you felt left out
1: we picture me years ago yeah picture me in the 80s i used to get offered well a frozen defrosted vegetable lasagna if i was lucky yeah i mean and it was all just really heavy carb-based frozen stuff yeah i mean it was probably early stage vegetarians and plant-based people had to watch out they didn't end up the size of houses because you would have literally lived off Frozen lasagna, vegetable lasagna, and chips. That yeah. was all you were ever offered.
0: It is crazy. I mean, I went for a Sunday lunch yesterday, and it was a beautiful pub. Everything was great, and my family had roast, and there wasn't a, there wasn't an option for me. So I had a, a Lebanese salad, and that was fine, and it was lovely, and I loved it. But I didn't go there for that. I really wanted the Sunday lunch, and there's so many options now that you that didn't have to be the case and it was great we all had a nice time but everyone was there with their roasts and I was there with my salad and I just thought no like I just feel like an outsider and everyone kept being like oh how is it and I'm like lovely honestly I'm loving every single spoonful but it just didn't look like a Sunday lunch table aesthetically and
1: now there's no excuses there not in 2022 I mean I grew up with that Yeah, it used to be really awkward. I'd always be like, no, it's fine, I'm happy. Yeah. And it was almost like... Well, back back when I was early stage um, vegetarian, it was like being a political activist almost. And I was never making... A political statement. So I used to do my best to make everybody else feel better about my position when really I just think you know people eat I, I don't lecture meat eaters no. about what they're eating. so why should they have an issue with me not eating it? Which is kind of an irony. Right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. But I think definitely if you if aesthetically it looks and feels the same and everyone is on an equal wavelength regardless of if it's meat, non-meat, alcohol, non-alcohol, I think that just makes such a huge difference so in society. Definitely. So going on to where your products are stocked so you mentioned North America or I think America as a whole, Europe and also Australia. So I'm really interested in how these markets differ as a whole because me not being involved in the industry I kind of think that the UK have a bit of an unhealthy relationship with alcohol generally. I feel like we can sometimes abuse it. I feel like in Europe it's more of a tradition to have a drink with your dinner I think it's not abused I think it's just whether it's alcohol not alcoholic or non-alcoholic I think it's just nice to have it there and America I don't believe they are as big into alcohol as we are in the UK but that's just me kind of really generalizing so what do you see in the different markets?
1: Uh, That's interesting I'm sure there's some truth in everything you said I think America does have quite a strong relationship with alcohol because, of course, there was a big pushback against prohibition, and their history is quite complicated with alcohol. So, I think when alcohol free started to grow and become fashionable, I think there was some pushback from big alcohol because of their history with it being banned, you know, and and links to religion, and and you know, so there's so much emotion I think tied up, particularly in America, with whether you should or shouldn't be drinking. I think there are so many different rules on drink driving which also differ wherever you are in the world um so just to break it down yeah i would say we are uk's our our primary market that's where we've built the brand and the uk has a strong history of building drinks brands actually but america i think will probably take over as our biggest market within the next six to 12 months in terms of volume i think the uptake there has been very strong of course America is so vast yes. that if you make it in one state, like California or Texas, both of which we sell in, you, know, you could almost not need to sell anywhere else. So I think it's important to state just how big you know, the opportunity is in the US. Um, Australia's an interesting one because we all have a very strong view of them drinking, but they also, conversely, have very strict drink-driving laws now, which I think is interesting when you think about outside the cities, the, the big distances people people drive... So we are also very strong there, um, I think, for different reasons. We've got an incredible distributor who, who, who pushes very hard. Uh, so I think what has shocked me most, going back to your question, about the different territories we sell in, is not how different they all are, but how similar the footprint of our consumer is which actually surprised me greatly whether it be dubai or new york or you know south korea wherever actually i expected a lot more difference obviously um one has to be very respectful of of culture and we were in hong kong and uh, just starting in china which is quite different um so so i'm saying that just as a general rule um but the reasons people are choosing to drink less are pretty similar, actually. Um, most of our clients drink. Um, the sober community, were probably a bit like with you in the plant-based world, they found us really quickly, wherever they were, because I think they were almost waiting for something delicious in the wine world because no one had done it before. So that was the gap that they were desperate to find, almost. Mm. Um, but everybody else, the drinkers, I think, are recognising where naughty can come into their lives Definitely. As and when.
0: Yeah, definitely. And every market is so different in terms of consumer buying habits and consumer, yeah, habits as a whole. Did you launch in these different territories in different ways? And did some territories take slightly longer to be accepting of absolutely
1: it. i mean they all take off at different rates and we have a, a, a different model of partners and different territories so for example in new york we launched with a fine wine uh distributor so they've got tentacles in all of the cool bars and restaurants so that was our new york strategy because new york actually going back to that my point about prohibition, they still have quite complicated rules and regulations around alcohol and where you can send it. But even though Naughty is alcohol free, it still makes it quite tricky sometimes because it's seen as a gateway to drinking, even though it's non alcoholic. So we only ever sell it to over 18s in the UK and over 21s in America, which for some people sounds a bit odd because it's alcohol free, but because it's positioned as an adult drink, not as something for. Children to drink like pop. It's, you know. Yeah, that's so um, interesting. Actually. Yeah. I haven't even thought about yeah, that. Yeah, that's an interesting one because occasionally people send me pictures of their children drinking it and I say, oh, actually, please don't do that. It's always a bit awkward, but it is for over 18s in the UK and over 21s in the US. Um, so it's quite complicated state by state. Other states in America, you can send direct consumer across states, but obviously because America is so vast. From a, from a sort of logistics point of view, it makes sense to have different partners in different areas. So that's the model we've got there. So it's quite patchwork with different partners. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to remember your question. It was about the different models, wasn't it? Yeah. So we've got, I suppose, an omni-channel, as they call in in the trade um, strategy, where we sell direct-to-consumer, we sell via... Um, fine wine partners we sell to wholesalers we sell in independent stores we sell in retail so there's there's quite a
0: complex route to market that's quite broad yeah yeah no definitely it is amazing and I think it is fascinating must be fascinating to kind of see different territories take it on and kind of see it being used in everyday life and it is a massive consumer shift but I think With the education that's going around at the moment, and like you said, social media with influencers and people making it cool, I think, yeah, it is a really nice shift to see. So, we've mentioned the champagne and you mentioned the red. So, can you explain a bit more about what products Naughty has under the umbrella and maybe what's coming next? Sure. So, I've
1: got the Naughty Brew, which we've tasted, which is the alternative to champagne. So, places like British Airways pour it as the alternative to champagne. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we're at Heathrow Terminal 5 Lounge, which is lovely. Um, and then we've got a rosé which is an alternative to rosé champagne so that's quite easy Um, and my brand is quite easy to understand in that way you know, champagne or naughty that's simple and I wanted to make sure we had a bottle for every fine wine drinker as an alternative so we launched Naughty Rouge just recently um, and that uh, goes into Waitrose end of November very exciting and that's very fast so we're delighted about that that is amazing yeah, so that's just launched that's from South Africa um, it's a Syrah grape, um, which you get that on the nose. You end up with something more like a Burgundian Pinot Noir style, a lighter, more elegant style because of the way you make the wine and then you de it. But we were in the New York Times um, a couple of months ago, and the critic who's not known probably for loving things, as most New Yorkers are, they're, they're usually very honest, um, we got an incredible write-up of the New York Times. We were on the cover with a photo of New York Times food
0: Amazing. Which was a bit of a
1: pinch me moment. Definitely, yeah. that's
0: huge. Yeah, that was
1: exciting. Um, and then you mentioned next. So next, uh, early next year, so spring, we've got Naughty Blanc and Naughty Rosé. So that we'll is. then have the three still wines to complement the two sparklings.
0: And has the still been a slightly more of a challenge than the sparkling? Or has it been an equal challenge across the Yeah, world? I think it was
1: a bit more of a challenge, the red, because I wanted some tannin. Yes. And... Tannins not easy, and red historically had been described as blackcurrant cordial. Mostly, it, it was hard to get any sense of mouth feel. Mm-hmm. I think naughty sparkling is very hard to make, and I can't underestimate that. But with in the sort of um, wine-tasting world, bubble it, it creates mouthfeel. That's a tick, mm-hmm. so you're not trying to create anything else there. Whereas with the red, I've got a liquid, and, and you need the viscosity of red wine, you know, when you, the mouthfeel, and you need, I felt, some elegant tannin. And so the red was a big, big challenge. I was super nervous, actually, launching it, because although I trust... My taste buds, and I, I think that's the one thing I, I, I'm really confident about. It's my palate. I, yeah. I've always, I've always been able to nail the taste. It doesn't stop you being nervous, of and course. and when when the New York Times wrote about us, yeah, that was that, that that proved that I knew what I was doing. So I was pretty relieved.
0: Definitely, no, that's so exciting, amazing, and I want to touch on the name Naughty because I think it's a really great name. But how did you come up with the name? Well, I like the fact it's
1: like the greedy vegan. You've got. A bit of a playful oxymoron there where you've got opposition, haven't you? I wanted naughty as in mischief, as in fun, because I think although my my wine, the liquid is serious, um, the brand I felt needed to bring some element of of playfulness to it, because I think. You know, so much about the alcohol free world historically has been a little bit depressing. Probably a bit like people have seen the vegan and plant-based world. Oh, everyone's a bit serious. Yeah. And they're all a bit thin and white and depressed. You yes. know? And the same way as people not drinking. Oh you're not drinking. Oh my god, you're so boring. You know, I think there is that that similarity with the way that both of our industries have been negatively portrayed. And so I wanted that playful element. Naught is obviously zero naught percent. Um my American friends were great because I hadn't realised they didn't use naught they only use zero there so that was a nice kind of explanation for them we had a lot of fun in America with AF because although we know it as alcohol free they know it as something else that is extremely mischievous and and, and probably this podcast is being played at breakfast time I'll I'll let you guess Um, but that was a hilariously British moment for me when I first found out what they thought it could denote AF and I was like oh my god goodness, I was so British, that's terrible, and of course, they loved it, so, you know, I think it's probably just helped my brand in America, thankfully.
0: Definitely, definitely, and I love this kind of oxymoron, I think it's playful, I think we are trying to change and shape industries and change reputations, and with that, you've got to kind of play on words, because everyone thinks, like you mentioned, vegan, oh, boring, tasteless, earthy. And actually, Greedy Vegan makes it more fun. And like I said, naughty. Everyone thinks, oh, that's really, you don't drink. How boring. Yeah,
1: someone the other day at a lunch meeting said oh, my God, I'm so glad you're fun. And I was like, oh, thank you, I think. Yeah. You know, I think probably the same as you. Yeah.
0: They expect us to, to be, look a bit miserable and, yeah. and be a bit worn and depressed. Definitely. And everyone's like, I'm sorry, I'm not vegan. I'm like, I don't care. Like, none of my family are vegan. So, I really don't so care. So it's almost
1: like, you know, you end up pushing them to eat a steak. I end up pushing them to take shots. I mean, there's the irony, right?
0: I know. It's crazy. It is really crazy. And I think that's what makes it so fun and exciting and why... I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but we love our jobs. I mean, that's why it's really fun. Absolutely. I mean, I could talk about this all day, but I better wrap it up because it is a Monday. We're very busy. But my last question on the podcast always is again about food. And it is what would your last meal be? Oh. So, starter, main course, and dessert. It could be anything, doesn't have to link. So,
1: I would have to go back to my Mexican. Um, So, I, I was lucky enough to try. That in Mexico, yeah, <laughs> Mexican in Mexico, vegetarian, vegan Mexican in Mexico, um, yeah. So I'd have I I'd, I'd be guac all the way, yeah. guac maybe with some handmade tortilla chips. um Delicious. Now I know I know it's controversial in California, isn't it, and Mexico. What you add? I love coriander. Mm. I don't like too much red onion because I feel like that is just too strong. Just a touch of red onion. Yeah, I love a ton of lime. Yeah. squeezed. Oh my god, garlic. Yes um what's the other controversial thing people had to quirk? what is there chili? A... Is it
0: chili chili
1: I gotta have a bit of chili yeah. in there yeah fresh chili oh yeah I could eat that all day um so my main course I think I'm still I might I'm still gonna stay on that tip and go fajitas good one I had some incredible jackfruit fajitas Ooh. at a Mexican place in Covent Garden okay it's gonna come to me later and they were amazing. I'm not a fan of fake meat. No, i Personally, I'm not, no. And, and I know that's all the rage now. And I appreciate it fills a gap for people who are desperate to switch out, who who are trying to eat less meat. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. But of course, the problem I've got now is so many restaurants are just putting a ton of fake meat on lists. Yeah. Thinking they've ticked the, the plant-based yeah. box. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So definitely. I wouldn't go fake meat. It would do a lovely jackfruit. Yes. Um, now, dessert. So dessert, God, what, what would I have for dessert? Ah, oh, I'm really. Well, oh, maybe I did go sorbet earlier, but I do love pistachio ice cream.
0: That is my favorite. There's as well. an
1: incredible place in Italy. Um, in Pietra Santa in Tuscany pistachio ice cream from there just one scoop and I'm happy
0: just done that's it simple heaven I know I've actually got a pistachio spread in my cupboard I love pistachio heaven oh pistachio spread I know I mean I I haven't really got into it yet but I'm thinking if you get like a like a lovely fresh croissant and then put that in the middle create your own like Ooh, pistachio concept yes. that could be quite nice but that meal sounded heavenly and it's definitely got me hungry good but thank you so much it's for been coming a pleasure. i loved, loved it. it and this is my first experience drinking non-alcoholic champagne and it's definitely a good one so cheers to that cheers to you thank you so much thank you Thank you guys so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you do see Naughty on the menu when you next go out for a drink, please give it a try. Thanks again and see you next week.